Welcome to the Just Ask Mom podcast, where mothers share their experiences of raising children with mental illness. Just Ask Mom is a Mothers on the Frontline production. Today we will listen to Melissa, a mother from rural Iowa, share her story about raising a son with severe depression. Please be advised that this interview discusses suicide and may be triggering to some of our audience. So hello, can you tell us a little bit about yourself before or outside of parenting? What what do you love? Who are you? Uh, my name is Melissa, and I'm a mom here in rural Iowa, and uh, I farm with my husband um, in a you know a small community, and I love the environment. Uh, I love watching our children grow, and um, yeah, just being outdoors, reading, that kind of thing. So you were like watching lots of things grow, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So I want you to pretend that you're talking to peers of kids that are going through mental health difficulties and their parents. And what would you like them to know about your family's experiences? I would say that our, our experience, um, you know, with um, as a parent with a child with um, debilitating mental illness, you know, would be to... Um, to just maybe ask, be inquisitive, you know, try and find out, you know, I mean, not in a nosy type of a way, but just so maybe you can learn a little bit more about the situation and not just shut the door, essentially, um, you know, because it's it's very challenging um, on a daily basis. And, you know, when you're feeling the doors kind of slammed by parents or peers that don't necessarily know the story, it just makes life that much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, my child has a lot to give to this world, you know, and he's beautiful and he's kind, um, but he just struggles with certain things, you know, um, but I think his life as a youth could have been much easier if um, some of those doors would have remained open. You bring up a really good point because a lot of times if our children are sick, let's say they have a physical illness or the measles or what have you, people would naturally say, oh, how's your son doing, right? Or right. they would naturally ask. And I think maybe people are afraid to ask us or talk to us. They they shut down or shut us out sometimes. Is that? Yeah, I would, I would say that, you know. And I mean, I know it is not the exact same thing, but, you know, I've I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I kind of wonder if on some level it's how people who were diagnosed with AIDS in the 80s mm-hmm. feel. Yeah. You know, I mean, so instead of feeling that love and that warmth when, when they were diagnosed with something, you know, they were judged. Um, and I feel that very much in, um, in the mental health space here, you know. Um, and it, it's on, on a... A lot of ways it's how the the kids and the patients are treated mm-hmm. you know I mean how many cardiac patients or cancer patients do you know that need to go from one doctor to another and they're transported in the back of a sheriff's car in handcuffs exactly you know exactly and that's that's how they're transported when they're most vulnerable and the most pain right right they're actually taking yeah they're yeah, they're handcuffed, and you know, I know my son had a really hard time one time because he didn't even have a seatbelt on, and so that gave him anxiety. And the mm-hmm. you know, the person was driving, 
you know, and on his phone. And, you know, I think you just feel very out of control anyway when you have something like this. And it's... I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, when you think about all the years, all the trying, you know, to help help your, your child, what has been a barrier to getting the help your child needed? Something that is a barrier or didn't just didn't work? You know, I think our um, our situation is, is fairly s- severe, um, and I think some of the barriers that exist are constant therapists um, that are, you know, a, a good quality. You know, I think when you live in a small space, people come and go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a high burnout rate. And, um, so consistency, consistency, really not consistency. There's very little consistency, um, but I would say the same thing even with psychiatrists and getting meds, you know, because currently the situation is, you know, now he's an adult, um, the acute care setting, you know, you go into the hospital and um, he has severe depression. And so we've been in and out of the hospital in an acute care setting maybe 13 times in the last eight years. And in the last six months, probably five or six times. Wow. And the problem is the continuity of care because you go into an acute care setting and, you know, his is, you know, suicide, you know, just not wanting to live, you know. And so you'll see a whole new team of medical professionals. And they'll have an idea of what's what's happening, you know, and, you know, he'll go into another space and then they have their own idea, you know, and their own med med recommendations. Um, And unfortunately for the patient, you know, you're not really getting the highest quality of care. And I will say that our experience in the last six months has been even more challenging because he went to a hospital in central Iowa and you know when I got there they had actually prescribed him a medication that he had overdosed with on already before they prescribed it right but now that he's an adult you know I don't I'm not given all of the information and so he was discharged with 90 90 pills that he had already OD'd on as a youth and Two weeks later, he OD'd on him and ended up in that same ICU. And so when I talked to the behavioral health staff, I said, well, did you look at his history? And she said, we're not required to do that. That's not something that we automatically do. And That's shocking when you think about Well, and my reply to this person was, well, okay, so if I came in here with a cardiac problem yes. or you know, some other chronic issue, would you not look at maybe some of my past history, even meds, anything, um, just to make, you know, a better, you know, more informed choice? And she said, well, on this floor, we just don't do that. It's not our policy. And I said, well, I said, and in, in Iowa, you know, I think we're facing um, a really challenging time, you know, getting access to care, you know, maybe more so than other states. But, um, you know, I just looked at the woman and I just said, no, you know, I said, I know things have changed and we are seeing less and less help. And I can see our acute care institutions are overwhelmed. Absolutely. You know, and they are, they are completely overwhelmed. But I looked at her and I just said, you know, I said, I think what I'm hearing is, is now these people don't have access to chronic 
care, which, which they don't as an adult currently in this situation, mm-hmm. is that these, these people who are the most vulnerable are now going to you for a acute care setting, which is also very limited. Um, and and you're not, we're not even giving them that quality of care. But then even afterwards, there's no subacute to keep them well. They just end up right back into acute again. Right, right. Or discharge, and they, they, well, they refer again to outpatient services. You you mentioned something that's really important, and you're sort of at that key point. You could speak to it. So you've dealt with this when your child was a minor. Mm-hmm. And now is no longer a minor, and your role shifts whether you wanted to or not, right? Right. Can you speak a little bit to that? I mean, you, when your child, this differs too, because sometimes it's even twelve. They say now the kid gets to have more input. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but I mean, at least when you're the mother of a minor child, you can tell the doctor, make sure, remember this, remember this. But you don't get to do that anymore, do you? How does that work? You don't get to do that. In fact, at this facility that I was just talking about, you know, once this, you know, discharge happened, I I wanted to talk to the psychiatrist. I said, okay, you know, this is his second admittance. This is what's happened. I'm like, and it doesn't sound like you have all of the information. And I'm like, I would love to, I would just like a five minute conversation to make sure that you have the entire picture to give you history. Wouldn't even talk to me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when you're, I mean, when you're dealing with a young adult, you know, I I, I personally didn't want to take away all of his choices, you know, and make all of those choices for him. But I did feel like I could at least make sure that the physician heard the story Mm -hmm. and had all of the pieces to make a more informed decision. And now, um, moving into adulthood, I would say it's, it's, it's much harder because you're hoping that your mentally ill child is now providing them with all of that information. But how can they do that when they're in crisis themselves? It, it, it's, it's, it's an expectation that seems so unfair that the system places on that person. Right, right. And because of, you know, laws and things, I mean, common sense doesn't oftentimes trump, mm-hmm. you know, some of those things. And, and you know, I mean, my, my kid is smart. You know, I mean, he's been in a PMIC twice um you know he's been in the acute care setting at least a dozen times and so he knows what a psychiatrist wants to hear right and he doesn't always want to be there and so he can use those words to just get discharged right and for those who don't know in iowa a pmic is a psychiatric mental institution for children because in different states it goes by different names so like a residential long-term care and so he knows how what to say Mm -hmm. He, he knows how to play the game right yeah yeah so what has worked in getting help for your child over the years? Is there something that it was like, at least that was helpful, that would be good if there's more of that? Or is there something along the way that you thought was positive? Um, I wish I had a lot of positive things to say today. Um, I don't. <laughs> yeah, and um, that's the reality sometimes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. Um, I think... You know, I think I've actually seen a decline in the quality of care in our state over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so discouraging. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, when we had our first experience, you know, with a PMIC, you know, that residential care for youth, um, you know, the average stay was 10 to 10 to 15 months. 
and um, because of insurance and privatization of insurance and things like that, um, his second stay was limited to, I think, six months. And even, you know, at month like two or three, they were trying to push your child out the door, you know, and a lot of kids, you know, uh, could really use a higher quality of care for just a little bit longer period of time. Right. I mean, and, and my son's experience, he was discharged quickly enough that he didn't have time to test some of the medications, like an antipsychotic that's right. pretty severe. Um, and so they did that after discharge because insurance tried to get him out the door. And it just so happened that he had one of the um, life-threatening reactions to the medication. Oh, how frightening. Yeah, and went into like a cardiac arrest type of a deal. Um, but that doesn't have to happen. No, it doesn't. You know, that doesn't have to happen. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have to have the means to, um, you know, commit suicide because they choose not to look at his health history. Right. Um, Right. And and just to have a safe place to do those med changes for this kind of a severe case is is imperative. And yeah, I mean we're not talking about Tylenol here. Right. You know, these, right. these are some really really serious medications. So we like to ask this because in our experience, in my experience, it changes moment to moment. And in this particular moment, where are you? Are you swimming? Are you drowning? Are you treading water? How are you feeling in this particular moment? I, you know, I love that this is a question on here because I oftentimes refer to this as like you're drowning. Mm. You know, I mean, not all the time, of course. You know, yeah. sometimes you get to breathe, but, you know, I mean, that really is, you know, kind of what it's like, you know, and people are saying, you know, why aren't you advocating them more? Why aren't you taking more time to do this or you know, more time to do that. And most people, you know, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Right. You know. Um, that it takes all that strength just to get that gasp of air before you go under again. Right. Yeah. It's like I, I can barely, you know, get up, put on my clothes. And, you know, I have two other younger children that I'm trying to get out the door, you know. Right. And smile for just, you know, and yay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Looks like Pollyanna, you know. But, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's a really good way of looking at it because you've got, you know, there are a lot of parents out there and this is really, really challenging. And I, you know, when you look back at, you know, into public schools, you know, there are a lot of things that I think could very easily be changed um, to help parents that feel this way. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that's why I, I would... I would really like this episode to go out to all of you who don't, do not have children with mental health um, issues to just, you know, give it a second thought yeah. on how it might feel to be in our shoes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what do you do to take care of you? What's, what's your self-care routine? Because what I'm hearing is, and I can relate to, is just... Yeah. It just takes everything just to keep everything running, just to keep going. Do you, is there something you can do to take care of you? Or, and it may be more appropriate, what's your survival technique? How do you keep breathing? Because <laughs> that's yeah. a big accomplishment. Yeah, it, it, it totally is. It totally is. Um, we have dance parties some nights, you know, we crank up the music. That's exciting. 
with our younger kids. Uh, I like being outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do things like that. But the reality of the situation is, is there's not a lot of time for self-care, which mm-hmm. I know is the worst answer of them all. But it's a real one. Yeah. It's a real one. Yeah. So, yeah. As hard as all this is, I bet there's at least one funny story you have that makes you laugh a little bit. Oh, man. It's hard to think of one, but is there something that makes you smile when you think about, oh my gosh, that was ridiculous? Or even if it's even if it's not funny, but it's just so ridiculous, you know, that it's almost surreal that, yes, that happened. Oh, I don't know. Tammy, I'm just in such a bad place. I can't think of anything funny. That's okay. That <laughs> You don't have to. Just, so yeah. And if, if you can't, that's okay, too. Because I think mm. we need to hear that. We need to hear it's not always okay because when we're in that place, I know it's hard for me to turn on the radio or the TV and only hear stories about, oh, they overcame this problem and it's so great and they're doing this. And that's all you hear. So when we're in that low spot, it feels like we're not allowed to be there, but we're so many of us are there so often and we just keep it quiet. So it's okay. If you don't have something to laugh at right now, that's okay too. Yeah. I don't think you're going to be the only one <laughs> at this moment who's like, I can't think of anything. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, the last few weeks have been incredibly challenging for our family. Um, you know, if we had had this interview a month and a half ago, maybe I could find something wonderful. Right. But, I mean, it's it's the the health, the mental health crisis in this particular state is 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 um it's bad i mean you know they it's you know like i said he's in six months he's been he's been admitted to an acute care setting six times and this last time was because he actually took one of our vehicles facebook live to suicide attempt by trying to go off the road i'm so sorry and had he not unbuckled his seatbelt, he 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 would have died and, um, you know, we did a committal and uh, we advocated for him to, you know, be in this acute care setting longer. And uh, I mean, they, uh, they discharged him with, you know, another outpatient referral after like six days, um, you know, which has been what's happened, you know, for the last six months. And, uh, that's that's a lot, you know, and it's very heavy. Um, so I'm I'm not feeling overly hopeful. <laughs> no, and what I what gets me when I hear this story and so many others like it, no matter what, this would be horrendous to live through. But it just seems to make it so much worse when we know it doesn't have to be this way in terms of help. There is a way to help this, to help people stay safe while they're in this place. There is, it, no, we don't have a cure for severe depression that we can just wave a wand and make it go away. Right. But we could, as a society, keep people safe and loved and families loved and supported instead of stigmatized. We could do that. We, we, could, we could do that. We could, as a community, put our arms around people going through this and hold them up. Right. And I think that's what makes it more painful, is it doesn't have to be this way. It does not have to be this hard. 
No. It would be hard no matter what, but it doesn't have to be this lonely. It doesn't have to be this much of a struggle to just get people to listen. Right. So I want to thank you for your courage, for speaking today so people can listen and can hear about what it's really like. Because I think we don't, we don't say it publicly enough so people can hear because it is awful. But it doesn't have to be this way. It does not. No. And I would, my only, my only happiness would be, I guess, you know, if I can find something with laughable moment, um, you know, is if you can find a group of moms, mm-hmm. you know, and you get together once a month. Yes. You know, yes. And, and tell your stories to each other because I think you need that and you'll come up with some doozies. You know, I mean, that is, that has been helpful. Um, Support so important just to have someone to be there with you. I think it's so important. It is, but I've even seen in our smaller community where I know a couple of moms who are facing things similar to me and and they don't they don't have anybody, you know, and, and like you said, we just need to put our arms around each other mm-hmm. and it can get better. So Yeah. So thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and I really wish you and, and your child and your family all the warm, healthy wishes that to make it through this difficult time so that we can laugh together next we, time. We will laugh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. You have been listening to Just Ask Mom, copyrighted in 2018 by Mothers on the Front Line. Today's podcast host is Tammy Knighton. The music is Old English, written, performed, and recorded by Flame Emoji. For more podcasts in this and other series relating to children's mental health, go to mothersonthefrontline.com or subscribe to Mothers on the Frontline on iTunes, Android, Google Play, or Stitcher.